Good morning. Good to see you. Grateful that God has allowed us to be together. And we also get to learn to be a bit flexible as we have to go back to the pre-internet days. And I know some of you are kind of rejoicing in that with the see I told you we could do it attitude. And I, I understand where you're coming from on that. Uh, it is good to be together. I was thinking about the youth event this afternoon, and I'm, I'm wondering if we should switch that out and maybe do kayak races down the front lawn. Have you seen those streams that, that form? I think that could be a lot of fun. We could time it, you know, and, and usually we're running from the fire ants on that front lawn, but today we could maybe uh, use it for kayak races, which would be a blast. Um, so we'll see what happens with the weather. If you will, join me in Psalm 103 today. Psalm 103. As you turn there, do you ever talk to yourself? Do you ever find yourself reasoning through some decision you need to make or working through a conversation that maybe you had at work or with one of your family members and you're just talking to yourself about this situation, reasoning through it together? Uh, perhaps you have to... Uh, convince yourself to do something. Maybe you have to convince yourself to go around and clean up the messes around the house yet again. Perhaps you have to convince yourself to go to the grocery store. Uh, some of you have told me that that is your favorite activity in life, and so I know I'm not talking to you. But others of you, uh, you maybe have to convince yourself of the reasons and the importance of getting to the grocery store. And then, of course, some of us struggle with getting up, and so you have to convince yourself and talk to yourself about getting up when that alarm clock goes off and working through all the things that will happen if you decide not to. But have you ever stopped to simply remember the goodness of our God? Have you ever asked the question, what's so good about God? Is he worthy of worship? Is he worthy of praise? Who is this God that I say that I know and love and follow? Well, you're in good company if you have to work through things and talk with yourself about doing stuff. Let's go to Psalm 103 where the psalmist helps us answer these questions and we find talking out loud here. Bible says in Psalm 103, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Probably can tell right away that this is a psalm of praise and worship to God. It's personal, it's sincere, it's communal. It focuses on God, the one true living and eternal one. It shows us God is truth. He is love. He is just. He's merciful. He's life. 
He's perfection. He is holiness and joy. God is hope and he is peace and goodness. It also shows us his acts of mercy and his overflowing love for his people. We're all presented with the many wonderful results of our salvation here. What's interesting about this psalm is it's not like many other psalms where there are requests. There are no requests. The psalmist doesn't ask for anything. It's 100% praise and adoration of our God by those who are the recipients of the great benefits of his salvation. The psalm calls first on the individual to give praise, but then later calls all creation and even the supernatural realm to join in giving our great God praise, to praise God because of who he is and his abundant, merciful care for his people. The psalm both begins and it ends. It's capped with an individual call to give God wholehearted praise. To give God wholehearted praise. You know, I, I should have mentioned, they told me that the power might go out, and I think they thought that was a way to get me to stop speaking, perhaps. But I want to encourage you that should the power go out, I'll project, okay? We'll, we'll, all, we'll all be good together uh, to hear God's word to us. So uh, you just hang tight, and I'll, I'll carry on the Lord willing. So we give God wholehearted praise. We see this right away in verse 1. This is personal worship. It's personal worship. We see that in this phrase, my soul. He's calling himself. And our word bless here means to give praise and thanksgiving to God for his character and his wonderful works. I think this psalm is interesting because as you read it, uh, you realize very quickly that this is not a psalm that we could pray, right? When you look at the first couple of phrases, you realize, who is he talking to? He's talking to himself. He's calling himself to give God praise. He's calling his soul to wake up, and as we're going to see, and to remember, to use his memory of all God's works and all of God's goodness to God's people. And it's interesting that he uses this word bless, isn't it? When we look throughout our Old Testament, if we, just tr- if we just trace this word bless, typically this word bless is used uh, for God's people or for somebody to ask God to bless them. So it's a little bit awkward, isn't it? Now for us to say bless or praise the Lord, that's really what he's calling us to do. This is recognition of who God is, his greatness, his character, and second, it's recognition of all that he has done. It's rightly giving credit to the only one who can rescue and properly care for his people. It's recognizing the worship of God. And as you can tell, this isn't half-hearted. It's not meager praise. It's all-out praise, fully engaged, completely focused. This is loving God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and recognizing that all I have and am is from Him, so He alone gets the glory. The rest of the psalm is all about the wonderful works of God for His people. And we see here in verse 1 that 
that phrase, all that is within me is every ounce of my being. It's a hundred percent. Nothing held back. It's the very depths of my soul and mind engaging and praising God. And it's praise that's continuous. It's, it's day in, it's day out. When I wake up in the morning, finally, and I'm coherent, it's giving God the praise that He is worthy of. It's recognizing who He is and who I am before Him. It's saying, you are the one who's worthy of praise. This happens as I drive to work. This happens as I sit down to eat my lunch, as I I go throughout my afternoon, and as I drive home from work. It's this continuous offering of praise to a God who alone is so worthy. It's just as the songwriter says, the sun comes up. It's a new day dawning. It's time to sing your song again. It's time to give you praise again. Whatever may pass, whatever happens in my day, Whatever lies before me, the stuff I don't even know that's going to happen yet, let me be singing or giving you praise when the evening comes. Psalm 113 tells us the same. From the rising of the sun to its setting, let the name of the Lord be praised. Psalm 146, I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing to my God as long as I live. Now this praise and worship of God comes from the soul that knows God and that knows His gracious work for His people. Do you feel deadness and coldness in your relationship with God? Reading some of the biographies of saints from the past, just hearing their very um, transparent, unvarnished thoughts about their struggle in knowing, is God near Why does he feel so far away? And watching them wrestle through that struggle, perhaps you have felt that way or you feel that way today. And there is this coldness or this staleness in your relationship with God. Well, it it will be difficult to praise God if that persists. If you have a meager knowledge of God or a shallow relationship with him, it will be difficult to worship God if your life is dominated by sin. If you are serving anything else above God, it's hard to praise Him, isn't it? Or if you give God the leftovers of your day when you're most tired, you're worn out, and you're mentally disengaged. We all reach a certain point, right, where we say, my brain just can handle no more. So I'm I'm not going to make any more decisions. I'm going to be basically in a vegetative state until I close my eyes to sleep because my brain is worn out from the day right? Well, if you're serving anything other than God, praise will be difficult for you because praise is inherently humbling and it's self-giving. It takes the focus from the things of this earth and it puts it on the one who knows, who sees, who has the power, and who controls all things takes it from the challenges and the frustrations and the suffering and the hurts that I'm experiencing here on earth, and it puts me wholeheartedly, mind and soul, on the one who alone is worthy of worship. It's fueled by focusing on the greatness of God. The psalmist says, God 
is holy. We praise God for his holiness. Now, holiness is not some strange, quiet, monotone, irritating noise. It's also not wearing monocolor clothing and walking around with head slightly lifted in the air. Uh, That's not holiness. Uh, That's concerning. God's holiness is his complete separateness from sin. He's not tainted by or stained with sin. Now, I think this is a hard concept. At least it is for my brain. Because I know me. And knowing me, it's difficult to go for very much time at all without sin or temptation to sin. So to consider that God himself is holy, he's completely separate from sin, that's a bit of a challenging concept for me because I am not. And I know a lot of people, perhaps, who also seem to struggle with sin and temptation. And so it's hard for me to grasp this, but this is how God is so different from us. He is not like us in this way. He is perfect in holiness, God's word tells us. You know, this, this also points us to Jesus Christ, who for 33 years lived on this planet and he did not sin one time. At times, we struggle with this part of the gospel. But see, Jesus was God, and Jesus had to live a perfect life in order to be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. So God is not tainted by sin. He's pure. He's clean. He's righteous. We don't want to get away from that fact. That's not something that should be glib in our mind. That's a wonderful reality that we have a God who who is so different from us in this way. God's holiness is also his majesty and greatness, the very awe we have of God for all he is and for all he has done. It's just like Moses and the Israelites recognized when they sang of God's majestic holiness. This is what they sang. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? And for them, they saw the other gods. They were carved. They were images people put up in their houses and and physically bowed down to. So this would be really striking in their minds. They say, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? And they watched him do many things. Wonders. Can you imagine the day the Red Sea was parted? Not not a small thing. Not just parted, but the ground was dry. Not damp, not moist, but dry. Who is like you doing awesome, glorious deeds? These are the people who saw God with their own eyes and and lived this experience of watching him save them from Egyptian bondage. He rescued them and freed them. So they, they see this God and they say, you are majestic in holiness. You're awesome in glorious deeds. You have the power to do all you have said. You do wonders. Psalm 96, the psalmist proclaims, Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Let the whole earth tremble before him. 
It's this very character of holiness in God that elicits our response of reverent worship and praise of God. Praise Him because He is holy. He's separated completely from sin. Praise Him because He is unlike humanity in His character and His perfections. Sometimes people get a little bothered that that we can't, we don't have a God we can 100% understand. But I want to encourage you that that's a wonderful gift and reality. Because He is a God who, who is far above what we can completely understand. He is a God who's greater than anything we can comprehend. Our minds are too finite. Even the smartest among us cannot fully comprehend this great God and all of His perfections. So, we could stop here and we could spend our time worshiping and praising God just with recognizing His character and all He has done for His people. But the psalmist continues in verse 3. He says first, at the very end of verse 2, remember all of God's benefits. Remember all of God's benefits. Now, here's a challenge for you this week. I would encourage you, now we're talking about the internet being out, so we're, we're thinking of going back, right, in time. So I'm encouraging you to grab a piece of paper, I know, and a pen, I understand, and to write down, just put at the top of your paper, what's so good about God. And as you're doing your regular Bible study and reading this week, when you come across one of the perfections, one of the benefits, one of the graces of God to His people, you just list it right there. It doesn't have to be long. I know sometimes people tell me, you should journal, and I think, I don't have time to journal. I mean, I've seen some of people's journals around here. I I mean, really, I would love to, but wow, I might have to do talk to text or something like that. Uh, So I'm not talking to you to do that. I'm saying, take just a few minutes and write down what is an answer as you go through God's Word. What is so good about God? And you might do this in two columns. So as you study God's Word, as you read it for yourself, and you see these, you write these down. But then the second one you do is as you go throughout every day, and you experience the goodness of God, and that second column you write down, how is God good to me? What are the graces of God to me? Now, if you do that for seven days, it will transform your life. Can't say that about a lot of things, right? I know some people think shoes can transform your life, but as a lot of my youth have found out, you can't jump tall buildings. It actually really doesn't help you to jump that much higher on the basketball court or run that faster on the soccer field. I know it's disappointing, but true. But this will change your life uh, to simply see God's greatness and goodness to His people We remember all of God's benefits. God is a God of mercy and love and provision and care for His people. And so to help you not get dulled to hearing that reality, I want you to see it yourself from the Word and in the life God has given to you to live. As one songwriter so meaningfully explains, if you wake up one morning and you cannot think of a reason to bring God some kind of offering of thanks or praise, then you can be sure there's something wrong at your end of the pipeline and not His. We live beneath an unceasing flow of goodness, kindness, greatness, and holiness. And every day, 
we're given reason after reason why Jesus is so completely and utterly worthy of our highest and best devotion. And the psalmist tells us several of these, starting in verse 3, God forgives all your sin. Now, this is a spiritual reality that constantly refreshes our soul. God does not hold our sins against us, but, but He forgives us completely. Again, another difficult concept for us because we struggle so much with the slights and the unkindnesses and, and the thoughtless words that are spoken to us by other people. So it is difficult for us to understand that God would forgive us and forgive us completely and immediately. Don't you struggle to forgive completely and immediately? Do you remember how I said God is different from us? Here's another example. When he says he forgives, this is how much he forgives. He forgives as far as the east is from the west. And here's a hint. Yes, that's in our passage. You maybe notice that if you read through Psalm 103 this week in preparation for this morning. It's right here in our passage. Now, here's what I always think of. I go real literal. You can just tell how my mind works. So you pray for me. Uh, but when I think east and west, I think, okay, so where does east begin and where does west begin? And then we can kind of measure those. But see, that's missing the point, isn't it? Where does east begin? Well, it's kind of relative depending on where you live in the world, right? Where does west begin? It's actually relative if you all live in the same place in the world <laughs> and you ask that question because here's the point the psalmist is making. He completely removes it. He does not hold your sins against you. He's not looking for revenge. He's not hiding behind a bush ready to club you because you sinned. He's not holding on to your sins. I know, I know that we sometimes struggle to really believe that when he says he forgives, he means it. Because we don't feel worthy. And isn't that the point? We're not worthy. He is worthy. And he demonstrates his worthiness by loving us when we don't deserve it. Remember what our New Testament says? While we were still the enemies of God, or as we read in Ephesians today, we were dead in our trespasses. We were dead in our sins. This isn't somewhat dead or mostly dead. This is completely or all dead. Right? Dead is dead. And yet God, when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive through Christ Jesus. Now that's a benefit. We often misview benefits in our world. If you work a job and you look at your benefits package, you, you have to go to your boss and say, now look, I, I think my benefits package should be upped. And, and then you've got to go through this process of documenting why uh, the request you're making for more benefits should, should match. Uh, your, you know, you, you've got to show, this is all the work that I've been doing and these are the benefits you're giving me. I, I think you should give me a few more, right? And there's this back and forth process and the employer comes back and says, well, you know, we love you and everything, but, uh, and we think you're doing a good job, but we don't think the work that you're doing really goes with the compensation that you're asking for in this benefits package. And then you go back and you say, yeah, but what about this, 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 and this, right? And there's kind of this back and forth that goes on. Now, here's how God works. You know 
that you don't deserve anything, right? And he's the God of all knowledge, and he sees you, and he knows you don't deserve anything. He knows his justice demands eternity in hell forever. And yet here's how God's benefits package works. He knows your unworthiness. Your work does not, does not make you deserving of the benefits he gives you. And he gives them to you anyway. Do you see why the psalmist is calling himself to give God praise? You're unworthy. You're undeserving. And you know this. You just have to look back maybe just, I don't know, four hours and say, I'm not deserving of this benefits package. And yet God gives it. You don't have to bargain. In fact, you were dead. And he made you alive. And it's not because you're so handsome or because you have amazing taste in shoes. It's not because you wear the right brands or you know how to do style, or you're just nice. See, that, that's the amazing thing about God. He knows the thoughts and intents of your heart, and yet He bestows bountiful benefits. We, we sometimes get this confused because we think, well, God, if He's really good, He's going to give me stuff. But I want you to think about this. Can you take money with you? No. There is a short time, I was just talking with a brother recently who is just recounting how fast life has gone. You know, your mind is kind of uh, messed up with this because your body reminds you that your mind is older than it thinks it is. Did you follow all that? So, so your body ages, right? But your mind doesn't seem to. It just gets wiser, right? And so you have this frustrating position where your mind seems fine, but your body, eh, not so good, Right? And, and, and so here, here you have this reality that all things are fading, they're perishing, our bodies are breaking down, we won't live forever. So God's not going to waste benefits on the here and the now. He is giving benefits that last forever. Where they can't fade away, where they don't perish, where they don't rust, where Thieves can't come in and steal it away. He gives us a treasure that can never be taken away. His benefits are permanent. Far better than stuff. Far better than the stuff that money can buy. Those are temporary, fleeting pleasures. These are benefits that last forever. God forgives all your sins. He has not dealt with us as our sins deserve. He has not repaid us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His faithful love toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. So we respond to this great forgiveness with worship and praise for his unfathomable benefit of forgiving our sins. But we look at verse 3 and we see God not only forgives all of our sin, but God heals all your diseases. Now, this one is another one that's a little bit of a, a brain teaser for us because 
You probably came here today, uh, many of you, some of you, and, and you are dealing with health problems that maybe we don't even all know about. And you have problems that you have begged God in your health to fix for a long time. And you've maybe even had a crisis of faith wondering, why does God not deal with this? Well, there's a couple of things to remember about this. There is something far worse than physical disease. This is not to minimize physical disease. If you deal with chronic pain, you know how difficult every day is. But even with the great difficulty of of horrible health hardship, there is something far worse, and that is the reality of our sin-sick souls. Sin is a disease for any human, ruthlessly deceiving and destroying our own souls. In Jeremiah 3, God tells the people of Israel, Return, you faithless children. I will heal your unfaithfulness. Now, isn't that an interesting way to talk about rescuing them from unfaithfulness? I will heal your unfaithfulness. A passage more familiar to us, Isaiah 53. The Bible says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. This is talking about how how Christ going to the cross and suffering, it heals us. Well, what would this healing be? It's the healing from the greatest sickness any human could ever have. And that's the sickness of the soul. Sin really is as bad as God describes it and knows it to be. His great goodness is revealed through healing us from it. So he forgives and he transforms. And one day he will heal the physical illness we experience in this life. He will give us perfect bodies. Talk about loading the benefits on. It won't be forever, though the struggle right now is real and is difficult. We won't realize that healing completely until we're forever face-to-face with Jesus. So he heals us of sin, our pride, our anger, our lust and selfishness, our unkindness, our impatience, our rebellion against us. He gives us grace to say no to temptation, but he also gives us grace to say yes to righteous, godly, satisfying living. He has broken the power of sin. So we no longer live enslaved to it. So the kindest thing God can do if sin is as bad as he says it is, is to heal us from it. So God heals you from all your sins. And in verse 4, God redeems your life from the pit. The pit refers to the grave or the place of the dead. If you trace this word again throughout the Old Testament, you're going to see it's typically used in that way to refer to the pit or to the place of the dead. So it's not a holiday to be celebrated or a movie to go see. People in this time period were well acquainted with death and the horrible process of dying. They watched their loved ones die. They didn't have the modern medicines to ease their pain and suffering. So so being rescued from the pit is being rescued from hopelessness, despair, and emptiness. 
And the psalmist reminds us that God rescues us from the power of death. Psalm 49 says, But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave. God rescues me now from the awful destruction of sin. And just think how many people, how many people have been ruined by the horror of sin? See, we we become so easily lulled into sleep about just how awful sin is. Murder, hatred, selfishness, rage, theft, violence, wars. But there's also the sins of complaining, sinful anger, unkindness, judgmentalism, laziness, greed, covetousness. And all of these are destructive forces that damage and doom fallen humanity every day. We've been deceived at times into thinking that these so-called little sins are a little problem. All the while, these same sins are destroying us. They damage our relationship with God. They damage our relationship with each other here within this body of believers. And they damage our relationship with our fallen world that we're, we're supposed to be seeking to reach with this glorious gospel. As Paul Tripp, an author, says, The scary deception of sin is that at the point of sinning, sin doesn't look that sinful. We lose sight of the sinfulness of sin. And when we do, we are vulnerable to the seductive lies of temptation. They remove our focus from the very reason we're here on planet earth. But God, but God rescues your life both now from sin and for all eternity because with God both now and for all eternity there is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Isn't that what our society is constantly seeking after is pleasure? So much evil is justified by that mantra of if it feels good, do it. That's all pleasure-based. And here's what God says, at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. He makes known to us the path of life. So God rescues us from the pit And God crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. He makes you part of his royal family. Now, we saw this in 1 Peter. I know you're thinking, as I said that, that he makes you part of his royal family. I know you just, wham, went right to our study in 1 Peter and said, ah, we saw that there too. Here's another spot that says that God's made us part of his royal family. Now, very few people have ever touched, much less worn, or even seen in person, The crown of Her Majesty, the Queen of the United Kingdom, Queen Elizabeth II. When she wears that crown, she has an unmistakable identity. Along with all the camera flashes and pushing and shoving by the throngs of people that flock to see her, we know who she is. She's identified by being royalty. She stands out. In God's economy, you're walking around with this unique identity of belonging to his royal family. You may not have a lot in this life ever. You may be only able to to meet the very basic daily needs that you have, but in God's view, you're part of 
his family. And we know he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. We know he has all wealth and all power. Those things mean a great deal to us, but to him, he sees them so differently. And even his gifts of daily provision are his benefits to us. He crowns his people with committed, unbroken love. Think about the people of Israel. Go back to the Old Testament in your mind and think about the many times they ignored, they disregarded, and they rebelled against him. And yet, he came to their rescue again and again because he is a mercy-loving God, a God who loves without condition. And for those who've placed their faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, you have this same steadfast, loyal love of God through Jesus for you. When was the last time God refused to forgive you of your sin? Did you go to him this week and and say, God, I know you have no reason to listen to me. And God said, you're right. You're a rotten sinner. I'm not listening to you. I'm not going to hear your prayers. Has God rejected you because of how awful you have treated him? The answer is no. His word tells us otherwise. Has God ignored you because you've ignored him or refused to trust him or or maybe were ashamed of him? No. That's not the God of the Bible. That's not the God we serve. Being crowned with steadfast love and mercy means he loves and cares for you as much today as he ever has or ever will. Our love is kind of like a roller coaster, isn't it? It's got the turns and the ups and the downs. You know, somebody's nice to me. Oh, I love them. Somebody's not nice to me. I'm really struggling to love. Pray for me, brother, right? But that's not God. God's love is constant. He loves me today as much as he ever has or ever will. I want you to think about this. I think John Owen, pastor, helps us understand ourselves when he says the greatest sorrow and burden you can lay on the Father. Think about this. It's a heavy statement. The greatest sorrow and burden you can lay on the Father, the greatest unkindness you can do to him, do you want to know what it is? Is to not believe that he loves you. Because he crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. He forgives, he heals, he rescues, he makes you part of his royal family. In verse 5, God satisfies and renews you. God satisfies and renews you. He fills you up with good things. Now, the life of a committed believer is not without struggle. God never told us you're going to have a life of ease on this planet earth. There are hardships. There are things that happen to us that are beyond our control. And even if we try to prevent them, they still happen to us. Even the best planners get outplanned by life circumstances, right? But a life lived for God is a fulfilled, enjoyable life. Doesn't it stand to reason that the one who created you knows how to give you a life of satisfaction, of joy, of peace and contentment? That's exactly what God gives to us. He provides all you need for life and godliness. You cast your cares on him because he cares for you. Because God showers you with benefits. It's it's like a constant bombardment of love from the one whose very essence is love. 
It's renewal. It's refreshment. It's the picture of an eagle who is usually defined in the Old Testament as one of strength and courage and power. But those who trust in the Lord, says Isaiah 40, will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not become weary. They will walk and not faint. Now, you experience this refreshment of mind and soul, as some of you have testified, after being together on a Sunday. Some of you have said things like, I'm ready for a new work week after that service. It was good to be in God's house today. My spirit was refreshed. That comes because of God's truth. Being with God's people to have that truth reinforced in my heart and my mind. Hearing God's words, singing the praises, praying together with Him. It's the same renewal many of you know so well after taking time during the busyness of the midweek to meet with your life group and have your spirit refreshed through the discussion of the word, through prayer and fellowship together. So we come with hearts and minds full of the greatness of our God and the greatness of the benefits He gives to us as people. He forgives all our sins and praise God He doesn't forgive in such an errant way like we often do. He heals all your diseases, both our spiritual diseases now and in eternity, our physical diseases. He rescues us from the grave through providing us with an eternity spent with Him. He makes us part of His royal family with committed, loyal love and mercy. He satisfies and He renews us, refreshing our soul, loading us with benefits. You don't have to spend much time perusing current events to have your spirit sink a bit. The greatest antidote to the frustrations, the fears, the concerns of our day is to fix your eyes on God. To do exactly what verse 2 is talking about, remember Use the reminder of your brain to remember all the benefits, all the goodness, all the greatness of God. To follow the example of the psalmist who says, My soul, bless the Lord and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. My soul, bless the Lord and do not forget all his benefits. Let's give him praise and prayer now. God, our Father, we thank you for your many wonderful works to us, people who are unworthy of it, people who are often faulty and failing, people who need your healing and your rescue. We thank you that you provide it. We thank you for the goodness of your grace, the goodness of your salvation, the greatness of who you are, the wonders of your character and being. We thank you that you allow us to call you our Father and to know your Son, Jesus Christ, to be our Savior. To you, Father, alone be glory and honor forevermore, because you alone are worthy. Amen.
We thank Stephen for recall, calling us to remember all of God.